morning, church. Looks like a few of you have a little bit of a brown hue to you. It's been a great, great week of great weather. Thank the Lord for that. I am starting about 6 o'clock this morning. My voice got up and walked out of the room. I couldn't catch it. And I got up here, first service, uh, had a hard time getting sound to come out. And about the second sentence, uh, God just took care of it and trusting that he's going to do the same thing here. Here's what I do know. The Spirit of God wants his word preached. The word of God is living and active, powerful sharper than a double-edged sword. The Word of God is profitable for teaching, equipping, training, correcting in righteousness. The Word of God is the power of God that, for salvation to everyone who believes. Open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Let me give you a just a quick reminder about this great 8th chapter of Romans. Keep this in mind as we continue to work our way through this chapter. Chapter opens up, Paul gives a just a great proclamation of truth in the opening statement of Romans chapter 8 verse 1. And that proclamation he then builds on from verse 2 all the way down to the very end of the chapter. Over and over again, validating the great propositional truth of verse 1. Showing why that truth that he had begun the chapter with is true, why it's reliable, why it's reasonable. And that great truth in chapter 1 is that to those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. No condemnation meaning your sin that puts you at odds with God the acts of rebellion against God's justice and holiness that rightfully condemned every human and that put us under his wrath, that that condemnation was taken by Jesus Christ on the cross, that he owned that guilt as his own. He took our sins upon himself and he paid the just penalty of God for those sins. That he satisfied the justice of a holy God by his willing and accomplished even sacrificial death. So that if that is true for you, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done, 
then that means you can no longer have any condemnation from God over your life that makes you guilty because the debt of that condemnation was paid in Jesus Christ. In other words, God could no more condemn you for those sins that Jesus has already paid than he could condemn his son Jesus Christ for them again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And then Paul just begins to unpack and prove and validate and show the veracity of that truth over and over and over again all down through chapter 8. And the section we are on the last couple of weeks in Romans chapter 8, 14 to 17 is no exception to that truth. Verses 14 to 17, there's one great sub-theme, and that is adoption. Keep that in your mind as we go through this today. That for the first time in this letter that Paul had written to the church at Rome, he brings up the doctrine of adoption. God the Father choosing, adopting sons and daughters to be his. And how the reality and the truth about adoption feeds into that great truth of the chapter that if you're a son or a daughter of God, there is no condemnation over your life. You are seen in Jesus Christ if you're a son or daughter of God. His righteousness is your righteousness. His perfection in the eyes of God is yours. He sees you as he sees his son. No condemnation. So that's what we're doing here in this section is we're unpacking the truth about adoption. We're going to pick it up in verses 15 and 16 today. As Paul continues this theme, he writes, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What I'm going to do just to unpack and unleash the truth in these two verses is we're going to take it like this. We're going to look briefly at verse 16 first, then we're going to jump back to verse 15 and then come back again to verse 16. Verse 16, again, says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The idea of a witness. What is the purpose of a witness? What does a witness do? Let's just talk about that for a minute. Witness does at least three things. A witness reveals the truth. He or she gives testimony regarding the facts about a situation or a subject in question. Secondly, a witness exposes a lie. A good witness will do that. A lie regarding whatever subject or situation is under question. 
and put those two together, a witness also does this. At times, there is partial truth that has with it, attached to it, lies. And so what a good witness can do, one that truly knows the facts, truly knows the truth, a good witness can distinguish and separate what is true from what is a lie. That's what a witness does. When is a witness needed? Now, again, remember why we're asking this. Paul here is using the terminology of a witness to drive a point home. We need to think through what that terminology means in this context. When is a witness needed? Here's when a witness is needed. A witness is needed only when the facts are in question, right? I mean, a witness would not be needed. Take a courtroom case. A witness is not needed if everybody in the courtroom, judge, jury, the one being accused, the victim, if everybody knows all of the facts of the case, there's no need for the witness. You see, a witness is needed when the facts or the truth is not clear or is in question. So what I want to do now is I want to draw two implications from what we've just talked about. Two implications that Paul is making here when he says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And here's the first implication. that Paul, writing to the church at Rome, this letter to the church at Rome, that there were believers, Christians in the church at Rome that didn't have all the facts about their reality as sons and daughters. That what they needed was a witness. They needed the testimony of the Spirit of God to come to their life and confirm to them the fact of their security as a son or a daughter of God. Implication. I think a very fair implication to draw from that truth here. Why else would Paul, inspired by God, be communicating that truth? Because it was a needed truth to some believers in the church at Rome. Now, I want to take a wider angle. Let's step back from that. Let's come all the way from the first century here to the 21st century. And we can as confidently say that there's an implication for you and I here today. Because the one that inspired Paul to write to the church at Rome is the God that knows every believer of all time. And he's the one that communicated in his word what needs to be communicated so that you and I, living right here in the 21st century as sons and daughters of God, can live the life in victory that he wants us to live with power and confidence that he wants us to have. And the implication here for you and I is this, that at times what we need is the assurance, the confirmation that As sons and daughters of God, we are God's and we are secure there. We need the confirmation and assurance of the Spirit of God if we are a son or a daughter of God that we are secure in that position 
as sons or daughters. And one of the reasons that we need that is because it makes all the difference to us in how we face life, in how we live the life that Christ died and rose again to give us. And here's why it makes a difference. You see, if you are living your Christian life from the position of defeat, from the position of doubt and questioning, does God really love me? Am I really a son or a daughter of God? Have I stepped over the line? Have I stepped outside of the grace of God? That's a position of defeat from which you're fighting an intense battle of the Christian life. It's radically different if you're fighting and living a Christian life from the position of secure victory and you understand who you are and whose you are. You understand that You are a son or a daughter of God and that that means that the Father of heaven, the God of creation, the omnipotent creator is your father, your daddy who loves you and cares for you and is going to walk this life with you. It's a radically different position from which to live. And in fact, always through the New Testament, always, The Christian life and a walk of holiness is couched within the terms of your identity, understanding who you are. So the first implication here that we can draw from Paul's terminology is that we as sons and daughters of God, if we truly are sons and daughters of God, that what we need, what we desperately need is we need the conviction, the assurance that we are His and we are secure there. Here's another implication. The last to the first implication. And it's this. That not only do we need to know that, God wants us to know that. God wants us. He communicated the truth in his word because he knew that we needed it. And as a loving father, understanding the impact that truth would have on our lives, he made sure that he got that truth communicated so that it could come down to us. But that's not all he did. Paul tells us ultimately what God did right here. He gave us his spirit so that his spirit could live within us to bear witness to the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. God knew that we needed it and that he made sure that he gave the resource, the unlimited resource at our disposal so that we can have the assurance that we are truly God's, that he is our father, we are his son or daughter, he cares for us, and in him, in Christ, we are secure, forever secure, eternally secure, outside of the reach of condemnation, inside of the manifold grace of God, now and throughout eternity. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Two implications. Implication is that we need to know that truth. And secondly, that God wants us to know that truth and has done everything needed to make sure that we know it. Let 
Just think about how perfect a witness the Holy Spirit is. Just think about how perfect a witness the Holy Spirit is. He possesses complete knowledge of the truth. I mean, all of the truth he possesses full knowledge of. He's the spirit of truth. Not only does he possess complete knowledge of the truth, he possesses a comprehensive knowledge of you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what your struggles are. He knows exactly what you need and how to shore up your faith and how to give you courage and motivation and compel you to live the life that you need to live for Christ. He knows you inside and out just like he knows the truth inside and out. What a perfect witness. And not only does he know the truth fully and know you fully, he is a perfect communicator he is a perfect communicator just give evidence right here case in point he is the same spirit of truth that inspired 40 some men over about 2,000 years to write down through their personality an inerrant truth about God within the pages of this book. Same spirit communicated that perfectly through his revelation. And he's the same spirit now that communicates truth as a witness into the heart of the believer. And then fourthly, he lives right in you. That makes him a perfect witness to you. It's not some voice from the outside. It is actually the internal working, the deep working of the Spirit of God speaking and massaging and grounding and planting that truth of the testimony of the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God, if you truly are, into your life from the inside. That's a perfect witness. So what I want us to look at now, now that we've set that platform, I want us to build on that truth by answering this question. How does the Holy Spirit bear witness to us as a child, as a son or a daughter of God? How does the Holy Spirit bear witness to us that we are a son or daughter of God? How does he confirm that? How does he give the assurance of that down deep in our conviction so that it shores us up and strengthens us and sends us out into the world empowered by his presence? First point here is going to be academic. It's going to seem very simplistic. First truth is this, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are sons and daughters of God by giving us a brand new relationship with the Father, with God. Here's what I mean by that. And I'm going to show you where that is directly stated here in the text. That what he does... At the moment of salvation, what the Spirit of God does in bearing witness with our spirit that we are 
sons and daughters of God, is that he gives us a brand new understanding of who God is. He radically, radically transforms our understanding of God when he baptizes us into Christ and makes us a new creation. You see, Paul explains this radical transformation in verse 15. We're going to jump back up to verse 15 now. Verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption of sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You see, what Paul is doing right here is he is telling us in precise terms, very precise terms, what the evidence of the Spirit of God is in confirming to you and I as a son or a daughter of God that we are children of God. And what is the evidence? He shows a contrast between the way we used to look at God prior to salvation and how we look at God after salvation. And here's the difference. He said, before you were saved, here is how you viewed God. You viewed God as a taskmaster. You viewed God in fear. You were the slave. He was the master. And that kind of a relationship is one that causes you to cower before God in fear, to run from him at times. But he says, when you got saved, that radically changed. And what happened in your understanding of God is that you no longer saw God as a slave master, as a taskmaster, so that you cowered in him in fear. Now you see him as a father, as a perfect father. You see, you have not received the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons or as daughters. You see, you understood that now the God of all creation was no longer your taskmaster. He's now your father. He's now a God who loves you, a God who cares for you. And what happens in that transaction is that your spirit, small s, Your spirit testifies to the fact that that brand new relationship has happened, that that brand new understanding of God has taken place. And the way Paul describes that is this. He says, so that you cry out, Abba, Father. You cry out with a, and the word used here in the language that Paul wrote it in is a, is a phrase that points to a a passionate, intimate plea, crying out in confidence, understanding who God is in relationship to you, so that the cry is one of Abba, Father, a term of intimacy and endearment. You are addressing the God of creation, your former judge and condemner in sin, now as your daddy, now as... Your father, your father, intimate, personal relationship. That is what happens in the heart of a believer in their understanding of God. They come alive 
from death to life and understand and see God for who he is or given a brand new relationship with him so that out of the overflow of the heart, you understand that you can go to God. You don't cower from him in fear, but that you can go to him and cry out to him in your praise of him and your relationship just erupts. It wells up within you. Now, I'm not saying that happens every moment of every day. I'll give you a caveat here, though. If you could see him as he really is, it happened every moment of every day. But as a son or a daughter of God, that is a reality of the transaction that happens in your life. So the first evidence of the witness of the Spirit is that because of this new transformation, because of this salvation and your becoming, being made into a son or daughter of God, there is this experiential, please understand that right there. There is this experiential element to your relationship to your father. It is not just deducing a bunch of strung together facts like one plus one plus one equals three. It's not just a bunch of facts that lead you to a logical intellectual conclusion. No, the reality of what has happened to you affects your emotions, right? Do you see that's what Paul is saying here? So that you rise up in your heart, you cry out in an authentic experience, oh, my father, my daddy. That's the testimony of your spirit confirming what the work of the Spirit of God has done in you. But that's not the only evidence that Paul gives here. It says in verse 16 that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What I want you to look closely at here for a minute, I'm going to try to explain this as clearly as I can. There are two witnesses, one in verse 15 and one in verse 16. The witness in verse 15 is your spirit, small s, testifying because of what the Spirit of God has done in you in uniting you to Christ and giving you this new relationship. It is your spirit crying out, Abba, Father. But then it gets to verse 16 and it says, look again, the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with, with our spirit. That preposition there is critical. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. It doesn't say the Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit. It says the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. In other words, the Spirit of God is also testifying. Your spirit is testifying in verse 15 
And in verse 16, the Spirit of God is giving witness as well, bearing testimony as well, along with your spirit that's bearing testimony that you, in fact, are a son or a daughter of God. You see, the context demands, from verse 15, demands that you keep that preposition with in place and interpret that as meaning this is another witness here in verse 16 that's giving testimony of the fact of your sonship or daughtership to God. And the verb bears witness in the Greek that means that it confirms, it assures you of a fact. That the Spirit confirms in you or assures you of the reality of something. And what is that something? That we are children of God. That is the testimony the Spirit of the living God wants to bear witness to and testify along with your spirit that you are in fact a child of God if in fact you are. To assure you of that, to give you that belief deeply and securely grounded in your faith. Now, And just try to clarify the distinction between these two evidences of the witness then. The first evidence is the Spirit of God giving you this new relationship so that in a, in a very real way, based upon real facts and doctrinal truth, there is an experiential element to that in your spirit that causes you to well up in a cry to your father to recognize the reality that God is your father and you are his child. That's one of the witnesses. And in verse 16, the second witness is this, that the spirit of God immediately brings to your spirit at times the conviction, the assurance that you are in fact a son or a daughter of God. The spirit joins in the testimony with your spirit He does that at various times. You can't dictate when that happens. You can't manipulate that to happen. But I promise you a work of the Spirit. God promises you right here that one of the works of the Spirit is that at times what He will do in your life as a son or a daughter of God, He will bring to you a realization in a moment when you need it that you are in fact a son or a daughter of God, that God loves you and your assurance in His love shores you up and gives you faith and gives you courage the conviction that God is watching over you as a father, caring for you as a father. I asked the first service this question and about three quarters of them raised their hands. Has anyone in this room ever had that kind of assurance in a moment granted to them by the Spirit of God that they were in fact undeniably a son or a daughter of God? You see, 
That's one of the ways the Spirit of God works in the believer. Again, you can't manipulate that. You can't demand that. That comes under the sovereign timing and control and method of the Spirit of God. But he works in that way and he does it because he knows at times that you need that. For example, he's the God The Holy Spirit is the God of eternity who knows the future. Meaning, he knows what's just around the corner for you. And what he'll do at times is he will preemptively give you the deep realization of his love and of your relationship to him, your sonship or daughtership, your security in him because what he's doing is he is preparing you for a valley that you have no idea you're about to step into. Any biblical examples of God preemptively revealing that kind of a truth to a son or a daughter to prepare them for the valley, i.e. the desert? How about the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Jordan River, being baptized by John, and what happens in that moment that God the Father rips heaven open and he sends down the Spirit of God as a dove to come and land on his Son, and he proclaims from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am Well pleased. You know what that was? At least one of the truths about that, it was a preemptive revealing to his son Jesus Christ that he was a son loved of the Father because in the very next statement, what we read is that The Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of that temptation, in the moment of intensity, the devil came to him, and what was the first words out of his mouth? If you are the Son of God. Do you know what the Son of God, at that moment, fully man with all the limitations of humanity willingly shouldered upon himself, do you know what he could do at that moment? He could look back across the wilderness 40 days ago to that surreal moment at the Jordan River when standing there in the water, heaven was opened and the Father said, You are my Son. So that when the enemy said, are you really? There was no question. There was no question. You see, the Spirit of God will work in your life if you are a son or a daughter of God in such a way that at times he will preemptively reveal the truth about who you are in Christ to you to prepare you for what He sees, but you don't. That's right ahead of you on the path. At times, he'll 
reveal that kind of truth to you in the midst of the valley to pull you up and strengthen you and so that you can walk out the valley on the other side. Father knew, your perfect Father knew that you would need that witness. And so in the Spirit of God, who He sent to live in you, He provided that work so that when you need it and He knows when you need it, He will give you that confirmation. Now let me give you a caution. I'm quickly running out of time here. Let me give you a caution. There is a real enemy who's a deceiver, who's a perverter. He's not creative. He can't create anything. Satan doesn't have the ability to do that. What he does is he takes the good things of God and he bends them and he twists them and he makes them into something that brings pain and destruction, what God intended for good. And so related to the doctrine of adoption and the doctrine of the witness of the Spirit, what the enemy can do and has done at times is that he takes that doctrine and he perverts it. He twists it and makes it something it was not intended to be. Here's one way he can do that. He could come to you if you're not a son or a daughter of God and he can give you some kind of an experience to try to convince you of your security in Christ because he wants you to feel secure if you're not. Or on the other side of the equation, he can pervert and twist the doctrine of the witness of the Spirit so that some people say, this is exactly what the witness of the Spirit will always look like. And if you don't have this experience, then you're not a son or a daughter of God. So that he can use that as allowing one person or motivating one believer to condemn another believer, to judge another believer. So it becomes important then that we understand and are able to distinguish the testimony of the Spirit that is authentic and that which is not. Let me give you three ways, just quick statements here as I wrap this up on how you can do that. First of all, To determine the authenticity of the witness of the Spirit, take a look back into your life. Take a look back. Can you look back into your life and remember a time? I'm not talking about a day. I don't remember a day. I hardly remember yesterday. But remember a time when you came to the realization in broken humility of you and your sin. I promise you, if you're a believer, the Spirit of God took you to a point in time when He brought you the realization of your sin and your brokenness and your guilt in that. Secondly, that along with that, as you look back, you should be able to, if you're a son or a daughter of God, you should be able to distinguish 
a trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation. Recognizing that you're broken Humility in your sin, you're guilty, but that Jesus Christ is the very Son of the living God and in His death and resurrection, He paid it all. He gave the full and sufficient sacrifice and that you come to Him broken and empty and hopeless, but in Him is all of the forgiveness that you need and only in Him. There will be a time in your past if you're a son or a daughter of God where the Spirit of God will have testified in that way with your spirit, brought you that truth. And then number three, there should be a time in your past, if you're a son or a daughter of God, where be based upon the miracle of God's grace, you were compelled, moved, that you wanted to live your life for the one who died for you. You wanted to Honor that sacrifice. I'm not saying that you want to do that perfectly all the time, but that is what the Spirit of God works in a person's heart when He brings them to Christ. He shows them their sin. He reveals that Christ is the way and the only way and that when they accept Him, there is a longing put in the heart that they would live for the one that died and rose again and deserves their homage. Can you look to the past and see that. Secondly, to validate the authenticity of the testimony of the Spirit in your life, look at the present. Look at the present. What is the Spirit of God doing right now in your life? If the Spirit of God is working and testifying in your life in power, there is going to be, number one, there's going to be a humility just like we started with in the last one. There's going to be a humility of mind, a humility of understanding that you have not arrived. You're still on the way. Secondly, there's going to be a desire, a strong desire to continue to live for and honor the grace of God that was lavished on your life. And then thirdly, if the Spirit of God is working powerfully in your life in the present, there is going to be a love for the people of God. Because the Spirit, you know, God is love. And if He is having His way in you, He's going to be building into you the love of God and God loves His people. And then number three, look to the future. Look to the future. You want to be able to validate whether or not the Spirit of God is testifying with your spirit. What is the fruit that's being produced? As you walk from that great assurance and conviction, is it producing something in you? Is it causing you to grow in your desire to live for God's glory, number one? Number two, This is critical. This is the context here. Verse 13, are you still engaged in killing the sin within? I'm not going to take time to re-preach that, but if you've been here, you know what I'm talking about. If the Spirit of God is working powerfully with you, one of the evidences of the testimony of the Spirit is you're going to go out from that longing to, in a further and greater way, kill the sin within. And then number three, 
what the testimony of the Spirit will produce in you is you're going to have a greater longing for what is to come. You're going to be longing for the glory that is to come. Ladies and gentlemen, the Spirit of God, if you are a son or a daughter of God, will be working those things in your life if he is testifying and confirming to you about the assurance and the security of your salvation. If that is not the message that is coming through, if it is just an arbitrary experience that has nothing to do with what I just explained, then I would bring into question whether or not it is truly a testimony or a witness of the Spirit to your life. Would you please stand? I'm past my time here. Let me just make an application in prayer as we close here. Father, Lord, if there are believers here that need the confirmation of your spirit, the witness of your spirit, that they are in fact sons and daughters of God, I pray, Lord, that you would help them Uh, to lean into you, to lean into your truth. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and to pray for that testimony and you as the perfect God who knows when ultimately we need that confirmation and how that needs to come, that you would grant it, God, that that testimony would go forth in power into the lives of those who are truly sons and daughters. And Lord, if there are those in here that believe they are sons and daughters but are not, would you in a gentle way through the work of that same Spirit bring them to the place of the recognition of their sin and need of a Savior. Show them Jesus as the only way. Give them faith to believe in Him and Him alone and then baptize them by the Spirit into the family of God and make them sons and daughters of God. In Christ's name I pray, amen.